This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Welcome to the Young Lion Cast, your fortnightly audio source of all things New Japan Pro Wrestling, right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Good, and I am joined, as always, by the delicious Chris O'Brien. How are you, Chris? There's a new intro, and I'm very scared about this. I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> You're more scared by the new intro than me calling you delicious. I mean, like, I, I, I am delicious, so, like, why the fuck wouldn't you? Like, it's just observation at that point, Robert. <laughs> Robert, Robert. I've been. I've recently. I've taken great delight in calling people the longer versions of their name. We've been doing this podcast for two years, nearly, and not once have you called me Robert ever. No, but then again, I've started calling my friend um, Matt Matthew and John Jonathan. Um, even if it's not a long version of a name, I'll find a way to extend it. Like. Friend Reese, he's now Roberta. Um, so you've gone full on yeah. cunt. I've <laughs> been full on cunt for a while. <laughs> well, well, I've been ho- I've been hosting a um, Japanese wrestling podcast for over a year. I cannot pretend that I've not been a cunt. <laughs> well, Chris, do you know what? I don't give a shit about anything because I've got a brew. I've got a podcast with a lovely co-host and World Tag League is over. We survived, guys. It finished you, today. I'm smart enough to go, I just need to read the results. Like, fucking... I don't know why you bothered, but you bothered. I did. I did bother, and it was for you lovely people that I did bother. But, but good God. Can we just agree to do something different? next? Like, next time, next tag league, I'm spend a month watching a different promotion. Well... To be honest, I have been watching a little bit of the old Japan Real World Tag League, and that is so much better. Oh, I dipped into that as well. Um, fuck, what was it? It was a really good one. Fuck. It was no, not good. It was like 8 out of 10, but still, that's better than most of the shit you get. It had Kento in it, which is why I watched it. Was it Miyahara? Was it Next Stream against Violent Giants? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. There we go. Yeah. From, um, from Corrigan? Yeah. Yeah, that no, was the one exactly. I watched. Yeah, cool. So good. <laughs> it's a very, very good. To be honest, anything with the Violent Giants in, I am very, very happy about. Very, very I, I happy. Re- I really want to get into more All Japan, but it's so like not accessible. I actually need to set aside like the afternoon because I need the cage match article up next to it just to know who everyone is. No, I agree. And also, segue, fantastic segue. Up on the Podmania website right now is an introduction to All Japan, because both me and Chris have found that we want to watch more All Japan, yet there is absolutely nothing out there to help us get into well, the current product. So I'm please just, go and check it out. Like, it's probably below Dragon Gate right now. Like, both Dragon... Maybe, maybe not Stardom. Stardom doesn't draw amazingly. But, like, it's below, like, Dragon Gate and Noah right now, so... 
Like now I can sell out Sumo Hall. Well, not sell out, but like draw five thousand people to Sumo Hall. So the show they recently did, the uh, Know the Best, the Battle of Aesthetics, that drew a shade over five thousand five hundred, and it was a fantastic show. Really, really good show. I'm gonna get around to that. Is that the one with Marafuji and um, Marafuji and um, Great Muta? Uh, yeah, it yeah. was. Um, yeah, that's all on YouTube, I think. So I'm gonna get, well, not on their YouTube, but like on just notorious uploaders' YouTube. So I might because honestly, I just want to see what the buzz around um, Kaito is because I've never seen him. Um, Kiyomaya. Yeah. Um, he's. I don't know. I'm. I'm not convinced of him as a champion. Um, he's. He's, you know, he's a solid worker. Don't get me wrong. I watched his match with uh, Marafuji from the Great Voyage in Yokohama. Um, I've it's watched not... his other matches, but he's he's just I don't know. Um, I've also heard um, Axis is that their name? Is a great tag name. Yes. Also the Sugiara is that his name? I'm really sorry if I butchered that name. I, I'm completely ignorant of the Noah products. I couldn't tell you. Um, he's just won the national championship against Michael Elgin. Uh, I really want. I want to. That's partly where I want to get into Noah because like. Japanese Elgin is best Elgin. Oh yeah, 100%. And that's a really, really good match as well. Uh, that's an eight-star match. Nice. I'll, um, I'll probably check. It's either that, because I want to get off of here tonight, it's either that I'll play Life is Strange. So. Yeah, why not? Um, so, Chris, the agenda for today. We have got the World Tag League final, which happened earlier on this morning in Hiroshima. Uh, obviously, we're recording this the 8th of December. Um, we've got that to review and lots and lots of connotations heading forward as we march on to Wrestle Kingdom 14 nights 1 and 2. Once we finish that, uh, we'll go on to the three matches that we are going to look at for the classic match reviews. And just a little bit of programming notes. Um, the first little bit is that, as I said in the introduction... Um, the Young Lion cast is going fortnightly. Um, the reason for this is, I, with everything at the moment um, going on, it's, just, it's impossible to watch all the wrestling I need to watch on a weekly basis. So two weeks just gives me enough time because I'm afraid doing it every week would eventually kill me. And I know that you think you want Garth and Chris doing this, but trust me, you don't. So imagine <laughs> watching half the shit. Like to be fair, I imagine Garth would really enjoy um the Hanson Vader match, but imagine Garth watching like Dragon Gate or something else. No, imagine Garth watching Stardom. It it it's taken me a long time to even consider Stardom. Not because it's women's wrestling before anyone starts. Um it is it is literally because Chris has just hyped it that much. I've just right, have... I haven't. I've made very clear this because this is a very specific mix for me of amazing outfits and wrestlers who have no regard for the state of their bodies. But amazing outfits came first. Oh fucking! Have you seen um, what TCS come out with? They have like paintball guns and shit. It's great. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so yes, this has moved fortnightly. The Podmania podcast will continue to be weekly but that will come out on a sunday just gives us a little bit more leeway to basically get the episode out and basically make sure it's good for everyone listening we've also welcomed our first 
outside podcast to the Podmania Podcasting Network, the Wrestling with Jonas podcast that will be out every yeah. Saturday. You never answered my question. How, um, Chris, can I be around these guys? On a scale of one to ten, yeah. Um, I'd like I'd like you to be first date, Chris. First date, Chris. So around a seven. It worries me that you are a seven on your first date. I mean, okay, let's let's be real, because eventually, eventually they're going to find out what I'm actually like. So, like, I might as well start around, around what I actually what I'm actually like, and then build them up instead of like nothing, and then suddenly me asking them about who's winning the fight between them and who and in there. So, around me and Garth, are you full on ten, Chris? I mean, yeah, I don't need to worry about you guys fucking off. I mean, if I if you got rid of me, he's going to pick matches for you for this segment. <laughs> so, you arguing with Irish people in a pub in Blackpool, that is number 10, Chris, is it? We, I wasn't arguing with them. You full-on were arguing. You full-on no, were arguing. Garth was, because one of them laughed, um, because Garth watched Impact. Like, and he was full on laughing. Like, he was like, ha, Impact, you fucking mark. It was amazing. Was this just after Garth had tried to start a fight with Finn Balor on Twitter? Yeah, I know, exactly around the same time. And then Garth deleted those fucking tweets before I could send a fucking screenshot to people. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, we're already wildly off topic. Um, but yeah, let's let's start with today's World Tag League final. Night 17, 100. And 20 matches over 17 nights. Um, it has been a slog. I'm not even going to pretend that I've watched all of it. I know you haven't watched any of it, Chris, whatsoever, including the final from today. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is going to be complete news to you, complete new news to you, which is quite quite exciting. So I'm going to run down <laughs> as exciting as a World Tag League show can be. Um, I'll run down... Not all the results, because there are a lot of matches. For example, the opener between Nakanishi and Nagata and Tenkoji, which has little relevance to anything at all. And if you want to check out our full ratings for this for this event, you can go to the website, podmania.co.uk, and check out our match ratings of it. But the first match that I want to go through is um, match number four, which was the team of Tohanare and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Hiroki Goto and Carl Fredericks at 10 minutes and 10 seconds with the Toa bottom. Um, <laughs> it's First of all, aside from the Mikey Bomb, is that the worst named finisher in New Japan? I mean, does it involve the bottom? It's not even a Taguchi-related offense, which offends me. Oh man, like I'd, I'd love to see Archer do a rear view. Not Archer, <laughs> but I would definitely love Archer to do a rear view. Jesus Christ, not... that's fucking terrifying. I'm going to do that in TK. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Hanare picks up his first pinfall victory of the tournament. Any victories that that team had done previously had all been through Tanahashi. Um, couple of things. Fredericks continues to look absolutely amazing. Goto has low key had a fairly decent year this year because he hasn't taken the never open weight title hostage and fucked it up. Um but there was no sort of there was no exceeding of the storyline for the never open weight championship here. There was one note from the English commentary team that um Shibata was still not medically cleared, but there was nothing else that was 
bringing the storyline forward between Goto and Kenta. So as of now, I know there is a press conference tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. GMT. Um, regarding Wrestle Kingdom, I assume we'll have more or less the full cards at that time. Um, but after the match, Tanahashi is posing and we get another promo from Chris Jericho. Now, this promo was fucking great, Chris. Um, I, I know you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but it's a continuation of his previous one at Power Struggle. Was it Power Struggle where he challenged Tanahashi or was it King of Pro Wrestling? Power Struggle. Um, really, really good continuation of it. The man, Chris Jericho, is on fucking fire at the moment. And I would argue, I know that Will Ospreay has been in-ring competitor of the year without a shadow of a doubt, but the whole package... You can't look past Chris Jericho as having the best year. In AEW, no. In New Japan, I'm kind of fucking done with him. I think once... he, In my opinion, he will beat Tanahashi. And I've got reasons for that, and I'll go into that when we do our Wrestle Kingdom 14 preview show. But I think he'll beat Tanahashi. Now, for me, once he's done that... The only big star left that he can take on is Kota Ibushi. Yeah, um, not gonna lie, I would quite like to see um, Suzuki versus Jericho. Oh, that's that's a very exciting prospect. Yeah, to be fair, like we went pretty Suzuki heavy on this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, we won't spend too much time speaking about Suzuki because we'll be spending a hell of a lot of time talking about him later so yeah there was just a quick thing just reminding us that on january the 5th tanahashi and chris jericho will be going at it chris jericho said it will be tanahashi's last match in new japan tanahashi um responded by saying i have no intentions of retiring anytime soon that would really take the shine off liger wouldn't it if liger's been doing this entire retirement ceremony for a year and then tanahashi goes yeah actually i'm retiring as well and everyone goes no and forgets about liger that'd be really disappointing (laughs) No, Goto. Goto's back on. What, what the fuck are you telling me about? <laughs> and then it's somehow your fault. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this wouldn't surprise me if this is Chris Jericho's last match in New Japan. And to be honest, I don't think he needs to do anything else. His two matches with Naito have been great. His match against Omega was great. His match with Okada wasn't as good. It was still okay, but it was it was disappointing. But I think Tanahashi and Jericho will have better chemistry than him and Okada did. Yeah, to be fair, I don't... I'm one of the few people who... I gave that an 8. I thought it was a fine match. It was a bit of an abrupt ending, but also um, there's probably some sort of decree um, to say that Jericho needs to be kept strong, but meh. We'll see. We'll move on then. Uh, Match 5, which was the Suzuki Gun team of Suzuki and Lance Archer defeating the Bullet Club team of Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi at 11 minutes 30 with the EBD Claw. Uh, first thing to note, this is the first time I've actually seen Kenta turn up to a World Tag League match, though, you know, why would you? You're in a team with Yujiro Takahashi. Um, but him and Suzuki had really, really, really intense um, little exchanges. That would be a brilliant never open weight championship match between Suzuki and Kenta, just literally beating the ever-loving shit out of each other. There was a brilliant moment where Kenta slaps Suzuki and Suzuki does that thing where he just turns very, very slowly. And you, Kenta did a fantastic job of just looking at him and going, oh, fuck. And just Suzuki <laughs> beat the living shit out of him. It was great. 
there must be a Kenta Suzuki match from Noah. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And I think if there, if there is one, I certainly think something that I'd look forward to doing on the uh, the classic review segment. Um, post-match, after Lance Archer absolutely eviscerates Takahashi, um, we get a video package and John Moxley returns, um, gives both Lance Archer and Suzuki the Death Rider or the Paradigm Shift, depending on what promotion you're in. Um, gets at a table, says that he wants his belt back, and he wants to do it in a Texas death match. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying how um, the US title is basically turning into a fucking hardcore division. The idea of an Archer versus Moxley match, though, don't get me wrong, it's it will be a good match. I wasn't. I was like, meh, okay. I mean, it was it was built for another Moxley match, wasn't it? I think everyone knew Moxley was going to come back for Wrestle Kingdom, especially with um, Juice Robinson, the only other real contender, being locked up in the tag team division. Um, but making it a Texas Death Match, it's going to go one or two ways. It's either going to be absolutely fucking great, or it is going to be a tower of shit. And I'm, I think it'll be the former. I think it'll be a great match. I think Archer and Moxley are very similar competitors. They're both brawlers. So, yeah, fingers crossed, it could be a great match. What do you think, Chris? I see it going well. Uh, Moxley's doing really well since leaving WWE. Actually, there's one guy I started following on YouTube. He says all of Moxley's matches have been objectively bad. I'm like, dude. Because he was like, his whole thing was, oh, you just compare it to his WWE work. And it's like, well, one, you can't help it. That's literally his body of work. And B, Moxley has his niche, and it is within, like, hardcore stuff, and he's great at hardcore stuff. I mean, look at the full gear match. And not everyone's cup of tea, but I liked it. Um, I mean, I disagree with that statement. I think he's had at least two absolutely outstanding matches in the G1. Ishii, the white match was really good. The J White um, match, he's had a great match against Juice Robinson in the Best of the Super Juniors final. He had a yeah. great match against Shingo. <laughs> Great matches against um, Juice. So yeah, I I think that's categorically wrong. The the full gear match that's by the by it was a polarizing match. I I wasn't a fan of it. I thought it was a good match, but it went far far too long, and it just felt after a while like they were doing shock value for the sake of shock value. Um, but that's again by the by. I think no announcement as to whether. The Lance Archer versus Moxie match will be the fourth or the fifth, but as the fourth is already relatively stacked, I'd argue it will probably be the fifth. Anyway, moving on to match six now. Um, this was the only non-World Tag League match on the show, and Kota Ibushi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Tiger Mask defeated the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Rapongi 3K at 12 minutes 45 with a Kamagoye. Um, the match itself, I don't really want to talk about. It was a seven-star match. It was a really, really fast-paced, high-energy match. What I've heard online at the moment is that there is no heat under the Okada-Ibushi feud. And I don't know if you've seen this, Chris. Um, no, I've not. I've been off Twitter. Can you tell me to be off Twitter? <laughs> I told you just for this bit, actually. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's been very, very little heat. However, over the last couple of shows, Okada has been the arrogant prick champion, which he played so well, and sort of basically making sure that Ibushi knows that he is underneath him. There's no way Ibushi's going to do this. So there was a wonderful moment two nights ago where Ibushi... 
um, had the briefcase and Okada just belted the briefcase out of the ring. So Ibushi drop kicked Okada. Just a really, really good moment. And then this bit, once the match has finished, um, Okada grabs the belt, holds it up and shoves it, just keeps pressing it and pressing it and pressing it into Ibushi's face. And Ibushi takes a minute, stands there, and then fucking slaps Okada with the briefcase. I'm not joking. It was the stiffest shot. It echoed around the arena. It was great. And it took so many people to actually get Ibushi off Okada. And Okada's being led to the back, and Obushi's breaking through, trying to beat the shit out of him. It's taking loads and loads of people to hold him back, and eventually Obushi legs it to get backstage to beat the shit out of Okada again. And instantly, I'm more invested in the feud. Yeah, that's how build works. Do you know what, though? It's something I have. Not, I don't have an issue with it at all. It's just something that is an inherent problem with the current way that New Japan book because they can't start building this title match until they've got the briefcase defences out of the way. No, exactly. Um, also, that is a slight problem with New Japan. If, they if one division's doing really well, another division's doing really fucking badly. I don't know. I mean, when was the last briefcase defence? It was evil, wasn't it? So was that King of Pro Wrestling? Yeah. So you're looking at October and from October until the end of World Tag League there has been no build whatsoever to this match and I think because we've got this dash for the gold or this dash for the double gold or whatever they are um, whatever they're labelling it this match itself on the fourth between Okada and Ibushi for the title has sort of been lost in the shuffle because everyone assumes that on the fifth Naito is going to win the belt. And I think that's unfair because if you look at Coach Ibushi's body of work this year, he's had a sensational year. Oh, he's had a great... He's probably had one of the better years of anyone. Like, I'm just trying to... Especially in the G1, he was a highlight. Um, his feud with Naito, well, I never, ever want to see that shit again. <laughs> um, it's really good. Um, you know what I kind of want to happen? And you're going to judge me for wanting this to happen. Go on. I I want Jay White to win the belt. Do you know what? I knew you would say that. Do you want Jay White to walk out on the fifth with both belts? Yeah. I want you to imagine and something, then, Chris. Just just for a moment want, before you continue. He just wins it and goes, hey, Goto, do you want the title shot? Well, I have two <laughs> belts and still, no Goto. Just imagine for a moment. Can you remember the silence that greeted Okada beating Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Yeah. That would be nothing to what would happen at the Tokyo Dome if White beats Naito. Exactly. It would be amazing. And then it would stir up heat the next night. I genuinely think if Naito were to lose on the first night, I genuinely think that the fifth would be so, so, so much less attended. I genuinely think people would boycott it. Well, like, I'm, I'm mostly just doing it because, I, as you know, I'm a massive Jay White guy. I actually went back and watched some of his um, earlier matches, and like people were like, oh, he really came of age recently. But it's like, no, like, if you watch that Omega match, like, his ring psychology has always been amazing. As well, his, his G1 run in, 20, in 2018 was fantastic. 
that's one thing about the G1 going, like, he sort of um, dumbed it down, because you have to, it's the G1, because it's the quicker matches, but, like, um, he, I just love the creative ways he found to take out Red Shoes. <laughs> like, every single night, Red Shoes would be taken out, and it's sort of like, Jay White, you're a fucking genius. Don't forget as well, his match with Juice Robinson at, f- at Fighting Spirit Unleashed was absolutely fantastic. Oh, fucking absolutely, that's the best match for US titles ever had. Mm, yeah um, okay yeah if you want to give moxley robinson second then yeah fair enough and like unless you count the omega ishi match which i don't oh what yeah poor ishi um <laughs> anyway that's not why i wanted to talk about this match even though it it lit a little bit of a fire underneath this this feud um everyone leaves the ring it leaves liger in the ring he cuts a promo saying about how you know he's here in Hiroshima and then he's cut off by the video screen. And of course, Chris, me and you on this podcast have discussed, well, who the fuck is left for that final match for Jushin Thunder Liger on the fifth, his retirement match. Mm-hmm. And who is on the screen, Chris? But Dragon Lee. Ooh. I know. I know. We um, haven't even considered Dragon Lee. How did we not? It's literally the what we mentioned Marafuji. Yeah, we meant we did. We mentioned Noah guys before. We, how did we forget that Dragon Lee exists? Um, he's not known as Dragon Lee anymore, obviously, because I assume that is a CMLL trademark. Um, but he is known as Ryu we, Lee, R Y U Lee. He's been going by Dragon Lee in Ring of Honor. But, oh, um, but don't forget, he's not a part of Ring of Honor anymore. Oh, is he not? Okay. No. Um, okay. Oh. Uh, Imagine if Rush um, lost that, and he just becomes Rush. <laughs> um, so Liger says that sounds like a challenge, um, but then says, however, there is someone else I want to face as well. Um, and this man has just come, this man has got a beef with the man I've just spoken to and has just come back from a neck injury. <gasps> Never mentioning by name Hiromu, but clearly me- clearly meaning Hiromu, and heavily, heavily, heavily implying that Liger would like a three-way dance with him, Dragon Lee, and Hiromu. Opinion, Chris. <laughs> I can't, just that high-pitched noise, I can't think of anything else. As a prospect, it's incredible. There's one issue I have with it. As a story, it's putting Liger's retirement on the back foot for the sake of a Hiromu Dragon Lee feud. Why? I mean, okay, playing Booker for a minute. Takahashi takes the championship off Osprey on the fourth. I think we've both got that as a dead cert to happen. Who yeah. would you want as your next challenger but Dragon Lee? It's it's a storyline. It's a natural storyline. But then mm. to spaff that up the wall to have both of them in Liger's match. And Liger's last match, in my opinion, should be a one-on-one match. Yeah, I agree. Well, he's still able. Um, well, he proved at I, the anniversary show well, that he's still able. Maybe what will happen is Takahashi and Dragon Lee will fight 
on one of the road to shows. But then again, also that was you don't want one of them looking weak. I'd be surprised if Takahashi fights before Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh god, I was really excited for a second, and then I realized how shit the story is. Don't get me wrong. Match quality wise, that would be through the fucking roof. No, absolutely, but also again, maybe this is where Dragon Lee gets a pin over Takahashi. But again, make it's it Liger's el- last match. Why should those elim- two be the it, focus? Make it an elimination. I was listening to the Post Pure SO podcast on post wrestling, and uh, WH Parr made a very, very good point about how whoever wins that match on the fourth should face Liger on the fifth. Doesn't necessarily have to be the title, but if you did put the title on the on the line for it, how amazing would it be if Liger won it on his last on his last match in New Japan, then vacated it tournament for the junior heavyweight championship. That's I'm sure great. Just, I'm pretty sure I've put this one forward before. It's not a terrible idea, but if Hiromu wins and then has it for less than a day, I feel like it sort of ruins his comeback. You say that. I think it's very Hiromu. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. It is very Hiromu. Um, yeah, so, again, nothing announced as of yet, but the idea, it seems, behind Jushin Thunder Liger's last in-ring match on the 5th will be him versus Ryu Lee versus Hiromu. Or... It'll be just really. Who knows? Um, we wait and but see. It, then again, Ligon might just be doing that to stir up, um, to annoy Dragon Lee. So. Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to have to train myself not to call him Dragon Lee anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm not sure if it's Ryu or Ryu Lee. I, I assume it's Ryu Lee. Um, maybe it's really. R-Y-U? <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen it spelled yet. <laughs> Um, moving on now then to the World Tag League again and at this point there were three scenarios Um, if Finjuice and G.O.D. won then there would be a three way dance for the championships at Wrestle Kingdom 14 Um, I believe I can't remember the exact scenarios in my head but I know if Finjuice won and G.O.D. won, something happened. If L.I.J. won and G.O.D. won, something else happened. It would be L.I.J. versus Gorillas again. And there was all sorts of um, ridiculous things. However, that didn't matter because Ishii and Yoshihashi beat the Gorillas of Destiny in 16 minutes and 50 seconds with the inside cradle. Best of the Gorillas of Destiny have actually looked in this World Tag League. Nice of them to show up, considering they said they were going to concentrate on tag team wrestling and have basically phoned in every single fucking match they've been in. Um, which meant that when we got to the main event, because don't forget, we didn't have a final this time. It was all one block, one laborious fucking block. Um, this acted as basically the final. Whoever won this match was going to face the Gorillas of Destiny at Wrestle Kingdom. And Juice Robinson and David Finlay defeated Evil and Sonata in 24 minutes and five seconds, with David Finlay getting the pin with an acid drop after 24 minutes and five seconds. Really, really good match. And it annoys me because we've had the Gorillas of Destiny versus LIJ so many fucking times and it has never been anything more than, what, a six or a seven? It's always been quite slow, monotonous and 
plodding. However, this, it was high-paced. It seemed like winning the World Tag League actually fucking meant something. Evil and Sonata seemed to be going through everything a step quicker than they ever did against G.O.D. Juice Robinson and David Finley felt like a proper tag team, which is great because the state of the IWGP heavyweight tag scene is fucking atrocious. And we've got a fresh matchup at Wrestle Kingdom 14. Plus, it frees up Evil and Sonata to have high-profile matches at Wrestle Kingdom. I say Evil and Sonata will probably just be Sonata, but there we are. Um, opinion, Chris. Finn Juice, pro- One World Tag League. This is probably the best outcome of Tag League that you could have had. Like, there's not many good outcomes. But, it's, it's yeah, like, I'm not hating it, which is fine i guess like it's not going to be match of the night but like the tag team heavyweight tag team match has never been match of the night in the whole time i've been watching i think no true um and this will be a real shit if who's it if god actually come out and retain um you don't like god at this point do you it's not that i don't like god i've got a lot of time for god but whether it be the booking or whether it be just the way G.O.D. wrestle, I don't find their matches compelling, no matter who they're against. I don't find the just their entire shtick compelling at all. I don't think there are, there are far better tag teams out there. Far better you tag teams what? out there. You know what I think would fix G.O.D. if they brought back good guy Tamatonga? <laughs> oh, that was a year ago. I missed that. That was so. It was such a great gimmick that they really should have get, kept going. But then they spaffed it all to fucking Road to Show. Yeah, and this is something that you throw out on a fucking Dominion. Like, this is. There should have been. You know, remember the Randy Orton Bray Wyatt feud um, where um, Randy just slowly and slowly became more ingrained into the Wyatt family. That's what should have happened with fucking Tamatonga. You know, we should have started going to Mexico to help the orphans and <laughs> like, organizing charity concerts and like donating to the Takayama Foundation. And then eventually <laughs> he just one day kicks a puppy in the ring and he's the biggest heel in the world. Oh, it would have been the A storyline heading into Dominion, I'm not going to lie. Um, So, so far then, the Wrestle Kingdom card at the moment, confirmed for the 4th of January, we have got the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Okada and Ibushi, the IC match between White and Naito, the Junior Heavyweight Championship match between Osprey and Hiromu, and then the first part of Liger's retirement matches with the eight-man with all the dads. You've then got, on the 5th of January, the IC and IWGP Heavyweight Championship match with the winners from the previous night. The sort of bronze medal or well-done-for-trying match with the two losers. Um, And then you've got Jericho Tanahashi, the junior tag match between Rapongi 3K and ELP and Ishimori. And more than likely, you've got Liger, Ryu Lee and Hiromu. Still to be put on either or card, you've got the tag match between Finn Juice and the Grills of Destiny and the US match between Moxley and Archer, that Texas death match. So far, Chris, looking very, very stacked. Looking very good. I'm like going to go into a coma um, for those three days. 
And that's that's ignoring the fact that All Japan have announced their show on the 3rd of January, which promises to be absolutely incredible. That including the fact that Noah have begun to announce their, I think it's Reboot show, I think oh, on yeah, the 5th of January. Wait, quick, what's on the All Japan show? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I know there's a Miyahara title defense, but I can't remember the no, exact card. Who's Miyahara again? So that's all I care about. <laughs> um, and then we've got yeah, this Noah card, which from what everyone has posted online looks like that is again going to be an absolutely stellar card. And then you've got Stardom as well, who will have their show. It's a well, good time then, for Japanese wrestling. Their New Year show the twenty fourth, and it has Kagetsu versus May. Intriguing. And also, um, Hazuki's retirement. And I think she might be going against Arisa, which, to be fair, when last time they faced was fucking amazing. So, like, that'd be good. Yeah, it's it's definitely the WrestleMania weekend of J- Japanese wrestling, isn't it? Oh, uh, we, like, we're, we're going to have so much to talk about. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> then you also have New Year's Dash. Which I'm very interested to see the direction they take the stories after um, Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, it is sort of the reboot, isn't it? New Year Dash. Um, it's for Raw after Mania. Yeah, but don't forget you were going to have one person who's both the IC and the heavyweight champion. Um, you're going to have to book something big for New Beginning because they've moved that venue to the Edian Arena in Osaka uh, where they hold Dominion. So, oh no, it's Osaka Joe Hall, I apologise, I think, where they hold Dominion. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's where they've got... Um, new beginning this year, or it's or is it the Edian Arena? It's one of those two, and uh, it's a far bigger arena. So presumably, they're gonna have to have a far bigger card than Tai Chi versus Naito. No offense, Tai Chi. Well, I'm just saying Tai Chi and Okada is technically a bigger. <laughs> I mean, you've got one person holding both belts. Is it yeah. too Unless much that you're gonna have? The same person headline both shows? I guess it depends how much you ask for the person within um, Rogue 2, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, say Naito wins, just for argument's sake. Does he drop the IC title at New Beginning? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last time we had a proper dual champion. It was probably, not just like in general, lethal. Maybe. And to be fair, he did that fine, but he wrestled twice a month. So. Rollins? Rollins doesn't really count. He only had it for one pay-per-view. He still had it. He's, yeah, he had it for one pay-per-view and then did two matches, and in the second one he murdered Sting. So. Yeah, true story. <laughs> true story. Have you, seen, have you seen Sting since? No. No, you haven't. <laughs> Ignore like the three or four times he's turned up. So... Let's move on from World Tag League. Um, thank God for another year. Um, and we'll move on to our retro pay-per-view, sorry, our retro match review. And because we are heading towards Wrestle Kingdom, I think it's only fair to head into a Wrestle Kingdom match. And what better Wrestle Kingdom match to start with, Chris, than the first ever Wrestle Kingdom or the first event labelled Wrestle Kingdom from the... We, we talked about this show on the first podcast we ever did together. We did. We did talk about this. It's it's hearkening back, Chris. Isn't that nice? 
Was Dilo Brown was on it, which was. He was. It was. Uh, he was in a six-man tag with Bull Buchanan and Travis Tomko taking on GBH. <sighs> the undercard was not good for this show. Um, so yeah. To be fair, neither was the main event because the main event was um, Tenkoji versus Muto and Chono, and Chono could barely move at this point. Eighteen minutes of that. <laughs> Nearly nineteen minutes of. Barely mobile Chono. Just just let that sink in for a minute. Um, but yeah, we've got a match from this show. And it's the Triple Crown Championship match between the champion, Minoru Suzuki, and Yuji Nagata. With Suzuki defeating Nagata by referee's decision in 17 minutes and 22 seconds. So Chris, you gave me this match as an option. Why did you choose this? because it's first Wrestle Kingdom and it's significant and also I thought it would be very technical. It wasn't very technical. Oh my god. So to give you some indication how not technical this match was, ladies and gentlemen, um within three minutes, um Nagato's on the outside with his face pissing with blood because Suzuki had stacked Nagata up against the post on the outside had swung a chair, presumably to try and hit the post, and caught Nagata squarely between the eyes, um, leading him to just be pissing blood everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Um, it was it was brutal. And the entire time that he's lying on the outside, clearly shaken up by the fact that he'd just taken a fucking unprotected chair shot to the head. Suzuki oh, is... Today. Yeah. Suzuki is standing there in the ring, smiling, licking his tongue out, postulating to the crowd. Nagata gets up onto the apron. Suzuki big boots him straight back off again. Just full-on grade-A cunt Suzuki. The thing is, Suzuki hasn't, like, aged since Wrestle Kingdom 1. The only thing that's changed is the fact that he's lost that spike of hair from the back of his head. That, and also he was a bit pudgier back then. He was. He's, he's slimmed down a little bit. Which somehow makes him more scary. It does. A little bit controversial, perhaps, Chris, but this is... We seem to have got, at the moment, quite a watered-down Suzuki in 2019. No, the, last, the last time, like, Suzuki was Suzuki for me was, um... When was it? New Beginning against Okada? Like, where he just went over and after Okada's leg mercilessly. Yeah, because here he, you you actually believe that he was some kind of psychopath. Yeah, you actually believe like, oh god, I wouldn't do that. Don't get me wrong, I still believe he's some kind of psychopath. I believe he's a psychopath on some form of medication. It's it is terrifying to watch this match. Um not no, long especially- after Suzuki is also bleeding because he's yeah. gone to get the chair again and um, Nagata kicks the chair into Suzuki's head. So now they're both bleeding. Just two men stiffly, stiffly beating the ever-loving shit out of each other till one of them dies. This is our first Nagata match on the Young Lion, I think, together. Because last time, the only time we've ever covered Nagata match would have been New Japan Cup. And then that was... Um, on, like, the main cast, so... I believe... Pardon? What do you think of Nagata? Well, 
he had one of my low-key matches of the year. My Sorry, my low-key New Japan match of the year against Ishii in the New Japan Cup in the first round. That was great. Um, and I've always been a fan of Nagata. Whenever I've gone back and watched any of Nagata's stuff, I've always been a fan of him. Here, I just feared for his safety. Yeah, like, it's one of... It's, to put together how brutal it was, this is, what, 15, 14 years afterwards and we're still worried that he was about to die. Like it's you know it's like when he started coming back and got um, Suzuki in the armbar and rendered eyes rolling back with the blood going down his face. What a visual! What a fucking visual! That was great. Really, really, really good. Also, his kicks. Ouch. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Aside from the brain buster on the outside, on the concrete as well. Not not on the matting, on the concrete, and a couple of really quite horrible back suplexes. This was just strikes and the kicks that Nagata was giving to Suzuki, one of them physically knocked Suzuki off his feet. Not because Suzuki was selling, but because it was that stiff, it physically knocked him off his feet. He could not stand up because of the force behind the drop. Like These were like Joshi drop kicks and the reason like Joshis can throw such big drop kicks is because they're tiny. So it's like having a stone thrown at you, whereas this is like having a boulder thrown at you. Just absolute lunacy. Absolute lunacy. And then there's a moment where they're both kneeling in the middle of the ring and like rotting rhinos. It was fucking disgusting. Just headbutting each other on the cuts of their heads. Yo, that's the thing. It looked like they were actually aiming for the cut. Just unbelievable. Um, Suzuki um, eventually manages to lock in the rear naked choke. The referee calls time on it, even though Nagata is trying desperately to pry Suzuki's arm away. There's a wonderful visual again, Chris, speaking of great visuals, of blood pouring down Nagata's head and his eyes again rolling up into the back of his head as he eventually passes out. The ref calls it, and Suzuki is your winner. Well, you can't, well, you can't I'm here. Um... Just off of the screen, it's actually quite an interesting piece of history. But when um, Suzuki was about to hit Nagata with the um, pile driver, you can hear this the kid from The Simpsons on the side shouting, Stop it, stop it, he's already dead. <laughs> and that pile driver, speaking of that pile driver, there was visible head below. <laughs> I knew that'd make you laugh. Um, <laughs> I did that for you. No, there was visible parts of Nagata's head below Suzuki's legs. Like, he took a lot of that on his dome, I'm not going to lie. It was it was not pleasant at all. Anyway, unfortunately, Nagata was unsuccessful in gaining the Triple Crown Championship. He would actually never go on to hold the Triple Crown Championship. Um, he, was an all, he was an all-Asia tag champion last year. He was All-Asia Tag Champion. He won the Champions Carnival, but he would never go on to win this belt. Suzuki, on the other hand, this was his first reign with the belt. He would hold it for 357 days before eventually losing it to Kensuke Sasaki before eventually going on to hold it again. He would eventually hold it twice. I want to see Sasaki versus um, Suzuki. That sounds great. Pro Wrestling Love in Ryugoku Volume 3, August 26, 2007. What a name. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Um, but yeah, 
uncomfortable match to watch. Um, like I said, there was just there was no there was no moves. It was it was physically just strikes, literally slapping and just sweat flying and blood flying everywhere. I mean, it was good to watch. And <laughs> don't, go, don't get it wrong, we fucking loved it. <laughs> Again, this is my sort of match and, you know, the match that we're going to end with. But, I mean, what do we give it? <laughs> like, it clearly depends what you... Because in terms of drama, I've never been more invested in a Nagata match. Um, Like, I guess, like, it's Tanahashi match um, for the G1, but, like, that wasn't because of Nagata. Do we give it Eight? Last thing, I'm verging on nine just because of how crazy it went. Like I feel, I feel like it deserves to lump it in with like the eight, where there's like every Hangman Page match that ever happens. Oh no, no, Hangman Page King of the Seven, isn't he? Uh, yeah, actually, no. One of the few eights I think I gave Hangman Page in G one was um, against Suzuki. So, um, I, I'm verging on nine, but like mostly because I quite enjoy when Suzuki is suffering. I don't think I've ever seen Suzuki take as much fucking brutal beatings as as he did here. No. Um, like, his most of the time is people... Whereas <laughs> this time, they just, he pissed off Nagata, which is a low-key something you do not want to do. Because have you ever played um, the story mode in Fire Pro? I have not, no. Um, every time your character gets cocky, um, Nagata turns up and slaps you in the back of the head. <laughs> Outstanding. So, like, seriously, you win the, um, you win the. I think it was tag league with Nagato as your partner, and you, you, you guys going like, yeah, 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 one slap. Don't get too cocky, kid. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Um, should we give it eight then? Because you're verging on nine. I said eight, so we pretty much both said eight. <laughs> no, we do with You said nine. I said eight, and this is my fucking podcast. So. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Tyrannical dictatorship. Eight stars. Right, fine. But like next next time there's a disagreement, I expect to come out on top. Of course, and you won't. But you can expect it. You can expect it, Chris. Um. So moving on right. then. Moving on from this match, let's move on to another Suzuki match. Um. It seems like we can't do. All about, I need to stop putting um, both Suzuki and Stan Hansen in the fucking field because we're so burning through a lot of these matches. I think you need to stop putting G1 matches in there because we have burnt through G1s. But that's the thing. We haven't even burned through like a fifth of one G1 yet. So. No, no, that is true. Um, this time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the G1 Climax 2011. So G1 Climax 21, night 10, which is the final. Uh, this isn't the final that we are reviewing, however. It is effectively, even though the semi-final sort of thing isn't really in place, um, it was the Block B match, uh, match nine on the card, with Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Minoru Suzuki at 12 minutes and 13 seconds with the Bomb IA. Now, just a little bit of background. Again, this was the G1 uh, G1 Climax 21, 2011. Block A. This was Block A. Tetsuya Naito won the block with 12 points, but then we also had Hiroshi Tanahashi, Yoshihiro Takayama, Togi Makabe, Giant Bernard, Toriyano, 
Banana is good in New Japan. Well, this is what I've heard, and perhaps we should put some giant banana. Well, not giant banana matches. Maybe, maybe bad intentions matches, but uh, not giant banana singles singles matches. I'm not. I'm not ready for that shit yet. Um, we also had Toriyano, Yuji Nagata, Lance Archer, Yujiro Takahashi, and Hideo Sato. Then in block B, winning the block was Shinsuke Nakamura. Spoilers, with 14 points. And then following that, we had Satoshi Kojima, Minoru Suzuki, MVP, Hiroki Goto, Carl Anderson, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, La Sombra. Yes, Andrade Cian Almas was in this G1. Did he not know La Sombra had a um, G1? I knew he'd been in New Japan and I knew he'd faced Shinsuke before. But I didn't sure, know it was in this. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he was IMC um, champion at one point. We'll have to have a look. Um, and then, obviously, following that up, we had Wataru Inoue and Strongman. <laughs> Very quickly, MVP in. Um, I, he was at my local Fed last month for um, for a match against Michael Chase, and he was doing his meet and greet right. And then he refused to come out for um, during the intermission for meet and greets unless he sold a hundred of his little um, medallions. Unless he sold a hundred medallions. Not you know the um, necklace he wears out to the ring, like yeah. the three or five of them. He, yeah, he was selling replicas of them for thirty pounds, and he was like, "It wasn't a hundred. It was like unless I sell enough of these." Did he um, eventually come out? No, because nobody fucking bought them. <laughs> That's... Oh, my God. Right. Anyway, uh, yes, La Sombra was the IC champion once. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, well done. Very well done. Um. So, yeah, uh, Suzuki versus Shinsuke Nakamura. The first thing to note is it seemed to have been a bit of a transition for Shinsuke at this point because we seem to have been... It's a point between normal, calm, collected Shinsuke and then the, you know, I hate to use the artist, but, you know, the full-on sort of rock star Shinsuke that we would eventually get at, you know, Wrestle Kingdom 9 and that sort of exuberant character. We He was in the gear, but he so was a very calm and collected one. It's like between Garth to Chris and Tom. Yeah, I suppose in a way. <laughs> I suppose but it is a little bit like that. Your, your regular no-nonsense to Chris. <laughs> to utter bollocks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Suzuki came out. It, it was a good pop, and the Kaze Ninare still got a big pop. The um, the visual of um, Suzuki coming through the um, arches in Seymour Hall was amazing. It's not my favourite thing about his entrance, though. Um yeah, right as he gets in the ring. As he gets in the ring and begins clapping just before Kaze Ninare, rather than just stooping to get into the ring on the climax of Kaze Ninare, he belted whatever young lion was holding the ropes open for him with a drop kick and just in time to Kaze Ninare. And it was fantastic. Just set up this match. It was brilliant. I loved it. It's the most Suzuki thing in the world, just casually abusing young boys. <laughs> Again, just absolutely amazing. Um, so, Chris, what do you think of this match? You know how we kind of discuss how Shinsuke has a tendency to um, to sort of hone it in sometimes? Okay. 
I feel like he was halfway phoning it in here, but like not completely. Do you think anyone would dare phone in a match against Suzuki? I mean, no. But also, <laughs> a good like five minutes of this match was Tai Chi shenanigans. That is something I wanted to talk about. Aside from Tai but- Chi's absolutely phenomenal haircut. I was about to say, why doesn't he still rock this? Honestly, the mullet that kid has got going on is absolutely just ridiculous. Um, I feel like it added a little bit to the story. I don't feel like there was enough of it to take away from the match. It was just enough to allow Suzuki to fuck up Nakamura's knee and his neck. Um, He spent a lot of time working the arm whilst Taichi was distracting the ref. And I feel like it it did play into the story. Yes, do we need Taichi shenanigans? Probably not, but at least it wasn't overbearing. That's just what Suzuki Gun has been for the last 10 years, is just Tai Chi shenanigans. Exactly, exactly. Um, there was a couple of high spots here. Um, my favourite moment of the match was Suzuki going for the lariat towards the end, a proper huge lariat, and Nakamura leaping up into the flying arm, reversing into a flying arm bar. That, it, it never gets old. Every time I catch Nakamura in WWE, which admittedly is less and less and less and less, um, I'm annoyed that he doesn't do the armbar anymore, really. Not just the armbar, just the way he transitioned into it was yeah, absolutely he, incredible. He, he got the armbar from anything. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And the striking in this match, I feel like I was a little bit spoiled by having the Wrestle Kingdom 1 match in the same series of matches as this one because the striking was great you know you've got nakamura's kicks you've got the slaps from suzuki but it doesn't compare with the stiffness of the match at wrestle kingdom no but also like i feel like nakamura is less likely to be like yes kick me as hard as you want no fair enough because nagata's always have been in this mindset of i need to kill myself for this company I am a fan of Nakamura's selling, though. Nakamura is a great seller when he wants to be. I feel like this was good. They managed to cram a lot in. Let's not forget that this match was a shade under 13 minutes. It wasn't a long match. It was 12 minutes and 47 seconds, I believe. And bearing in mind that Nakamura... Sorry, 12 minutes and 13 seconds, so only a shade over 12 minutes. Don't forget that Shinsuke had one match which was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships match, before he then had to go out again in the G1 final, which he'd eventually go on and win against Tetsuya Naito. That's meant to be a great match. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, but, you know, you can't... You say Shinsuke phoned it in. I, I didn't see that he phoned it in. I saw a man who potentially needed to conserve a little bit of energy before he then had to go out to the fan. I still really enjoyed this match. I still yeah, really I enjoyed the chemistry that the two clearly had and the fact that Suzuki is targeting Shinsuke's weapon with the knees, but then transitioning to the neck and the arm. Yeah. I Is it an 8 out of 10? Probably not. It's probably a high 7. No, that's what I was going to say. It's a set. And for me, like with Nakamura, I hold, like, mostly because of the Ibushi match, I hold him in such high regard that anything that um, below a night is me thinking he's phoned in. 
the ending was very, very, very abrupt. We had that beautiful transition into the arm bar that we had before, that we spoke about before, sorry. And then Nakamura sort of rolls out after Minor- after Suzuki goes for a pinfall. And Nakamura does a short run bomb IA to the back of Suzuki's head. One, two, three. Nakamura is your winner. It just, it felt not rushed. That's not the word. Abrupt is probably the best word that I can use for it. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. And don't get me wrong, that's not a negative I on the match. Like, because like, that seemed to be a thing across all these matches. They all sort of felt like shoot fights, especially at the beginning of this, where we were sort of rolling about. Yeah. Um... It's all like um, a shoot fight with less rules. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. <laughs> And used to excel before um, Kenny Omega sort of destroyed how the style is, but I have a question. Do you think yeah. New Japan missed a trick in give not giving Suzuki the IWGP Heavyweight Championship? Here's the thing: I've, there was never a point for him to fit it in because, like, this is I don't know. Like and I'm inclined to say no, but like I think the best time for him to win it would have been Wrestle Kingdom six. But then, like if we did that, we would never have got the Rainmaker shot. So like, I think he's literally just always come. He's a, he's a really good world champion. I mean, he's held the GHC championship and the um, Triple Crown. So like, obviously, he's a trusted command i think the main issue is especially around this time like until recently he was never fully committed to new japan so new japan like especially after lesnar were not willing to put the title on someone who might just leave i see where you're going with that but when you've got people who've had you know people go on and on and on about how only a select few people hold the iwgp heavyweight championship when you've got bob sap no, no, no. Those people have not fucking looked at the history of the IWGP Championship. They're full of fucking shit. Fucking Bob Sapp. And, like, and people talk about, oh, there's no shit booking. They're sort of like, they put it on Lesnar as a publicity stunt. You know what I mean? It's like. Scott Norton. Scott, too fast. Scott Norton was a publicity stunt. They legitimately just like Scott Norton. Um, like, you can't pretend, like, that. A lot of the time, New Japan doesn't fall into the same trap that WWE does, because they do. I just feel like there could have been a time that... I mean, you look at Jay White's first championship run. He held the belt for 54 days. Tetsuya Naito, in his only IWGP heavyweight championship reign, held the belt for 70 days. It's not like... New Japan are scared of that first title run being a transitional title run. Are you telling no. me that there is no point in this entire rundown of IWGP heavyweight champions, 69 of them, that you could <laughs> not fit a Minoru Suzuki title reign in? Give it. You're right. You are right. But, like, also... I don't know. I think it's going his leg. I, d- I don't think he ever need. I don't think he needs it to be on. Like I'm not defending not putting it on him. I would have loved for there to be like a defined Suzuki AWGP Championship run for like us to rewatch because that would just be like ah ah fucking kink. But yeah, I d- 
I don't know how to answer this, that though because honestly I don't like going unless like there was a story and they fucked up a specific story and they fucked up I don't like going he, um, he or she should be champion you know what I mean it's not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like um, with Naito if he never holds his belt again where it's like well we really should have put it on him on Wrestle Kingdom 12 or like um or anything like that. It's a case of there was never a story where he rose to get the championship. So like I'm not, I don't think it really hurts his legacy to have not held it, held it, because he continues to be an existing threat. Like it's some it's a small part of me for some reason when he was going at it um, at Royal Quest made me think um, Suzuki was going to win it. When in reality there was no hope in hell. I think the red hot crowd held that. No, oh, yeah. Fucking, we need to do a show, but we actually go to. <laughs> they come to England again, irrelevant of where they go. We are going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just one more thing, and then we will move on. So, Okada's seven hundred and twenty days with the belt—that record-breaking twelve defenses, seven hundred and twenty days as champion. The moment that Suzuki Gun returned at New Year's Dash and Suzuki Gun went on to challenge pretty much all of Chaos at the yeah. following New Beginning show. Not one Suzuki Gun victory. No, that's, that is bullshit. I, I did think that at the time. It's like, because at the time, Suzuki Gun was essentially a new faction. They hadn't been around since Wrestle Kingdom 9. So, like, to most New Japan fans, at that point, it's a new faction. Like, I had barely had any exposure to him. And um, having them all lose all at once. Like, this is why I didn't like Tai Chi up until around this, um, the middle of last year. <laughs> I can't think of a time when you didn't like Tai Chi. To be fair, if you, I actually came across my first podcast the other day on my laptop, so I was like, okay, I'll listen to it. And I'm like, oh, Tai Chi, no one likes you. When in reality, that's just me keeping my feelings buried inside. <laughs> listen, I, he held the belt for 720 days. He'd first got it on June 19th when he took it off Naito in 2016. Are you telling me that the New Beginning show in 2017, Suzuki couldn't have taken that belt for 40 days, 50 days, give no, it back to Okada? They wanted to build up Okada's best champion of all time because they wanted him to have a very long reign with a very um, with a um, defense racket. Which is absolutely fine, but the previous record was Shinya Hashimoto with 489 days. He didn't just beat the record, he absolutely obliterated it. No, but Hanahashi's on defense racket. Oh, the combined, oh, the combined days as champion. Combined days of champion and also the amount of defences in a single reign. No, fair enough then. I was just going to say, because there's a one title that. reign, then you know all you had to do was get to 500 days. No, because that's why Naito... Um, that's partly why Naito lost, because we wanted... We want Okada to be the best of all time. It's, they're basically Roman Reigning him. Mm. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, because Okada at the moment is on 1,761 combined days and Tanahashi's 1,396. Yeah, but to be fair, in terms of Okada's current reign, it's literally because Omega last and we just defaulted back to Okada in a very roundabout way. It'd be interesting to see if anyone ever beats this title these combined days. Um, it would have to be someone special, but also like at this point, 
for New Japan, especially Western fan bases, to a point where it's very WWE eyes in the sake of they're idolizing Okada and don't think anyone should ever be him type thing. It's a, it's a whole other topic for a whole other time, and I'll go into it actually next week in our, our year in review. But yeah. Okay, let's let's move on because, like I say, that could be a very, a very very juicy juicy thing to discuss. A very juicy Robinson topic. Ooh, topical. Um, I don't know what that was. I'm never going to do that again. Oh, my God, what was that? Um, do you know who wouldn't have liked what I've just done? Big Van Vader and Stan Hansen. I'd have got a but stiff slap from them. They don't like anything. Good like, grief. Big Van Vader could look at a puppy and think, why do you even fucking exist? So we're heading to New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Fight in Tokyo Dome, 1990, the 10th of February, and more specifically, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Big Van Vader, the current champion, and Stan Hansen. Now, <laughs> this match you will probably know for one thing, and we will get into that in a moment, but... I thought that first match was stiff, but you know when you have, Chris, people whose huge complaint about professional wrestling, especially some indie matches, is that it's too over-choreographed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge complaint from a lot of people. Is it a gaff like a gaff? Yeah, he exactly. Likes, he likes the exhibition for some reason. What the fuck, gaff? <laughs> Don't think this match suffered with that, Chris. No, it really, it really no, no, not at all. No, um, no, um, I have no words. <laughs> it's chaos, it was, this match. A bit, a bit of behind the scenes. Rob did not know that this was that Hanson and Vader match. I knew that this Vader and Hanson match happened. Um, I did not know it was here. Um, okay, fun fact this is their only match. Is this their only match? Yeah, because Stan Hansen's incredible. Like, he was basically alone here. Stan Hansen is incredibly loyal to um, all Japan. Japan. Yeah. Like, he ran all Japan for a little while. The, the only real word I can use for this match is danger. Because genuinely, there were times in this match where the two were literally. I've never seen anyone dwarf Stan Hansen. But Vader just looks, inc- just man. He looks massive. Like it's weird because like we know Vader's big, but like somehow in WWE he doesn't look that big. But n- like you know what I mean? Like he looked big, but he looked more like just another giant. Whereas here he's like Jesus Christ. And like this is that point where um, New Japan was like the land of giants. At no point was there a move in this match. It was all lariats. Yeah. Chops and kicks. I don't even think it was like a slam or something. I am a fan uh, of how people sell the Rainmaker. You know, yeah. like AJ selling the Rainmaker is a thing of beauty. However, you know, not this, oh my God. There's it's a not, lariat not- on the outside when Vader hits Hanson. And Hansen folds like a cheap suit. And it was just, it was the most realistic thing. It made it look, I mean, don't get me wrong, Vader held nothing back. And at no point did either men 
hold anything back but it just looked like vader had taken the head off hansen it was ridiculous um so we haven't actually discussed the thing that happened in this match that makes it so infamous you know a match is stiff when even vader's eyeball went absolutely not i've had enough of this <laughs> do you think it vader's eyeballs just sound like nah bitch i'm out um, <laughs> fuck this stop i'm getting out so yeah um, vader's eye comes out and he removes the mask and he went the full mask at this point do you think that's partly why he moved to like the wire thing he used for the rest of his career so like if this happened again there won't be an issue just he just has it on the off chance he fights Stan Hansen again. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> yeah. It's like, when, I think that's just the reason most is that you find you fight Stan Hansen once and then you just wear bubble wrap for the rest of your life just in case he turns up. <laughs> I'm just going to wear my Stan Hansen mask. So, okay. So, there's some debate where the eye came out. It's either like just an accumulated thing or like an eye rake took it out. But what people never talk about when we talk about this moment, they stop at the, the eye coming out, like the match didn't go on for another 10, 15 minutes. Well, Not just that, about, Chris. Dan Hansen continued to try and... Like, it's, it's very logical. Don't get me wrong. If that happens in a real fight, you keep going for the eye. But also, Stan Hansen, can you just stop being Stan Hansen for a minute? Because <laughs> like, as soon as it happened, Stan Hansen was still going for it. It's like, Jesus Christ. The thing is, Stan Hansen is allegedly a very lovely man. I mean, like, all the evidence that, points to the contrary in this match. In this match? No, in all of his matches, yeah. But apparently backstage, he's like a proper sweetheart. It just... Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, this is a match where everything sort of blurs into one because they brawled, they brawled to the outside, they brawled back into the ring, they brawled to the outside, they brawled back into the ring, they slapped the shit out of each other, they lariat each other. And genuinely, there are not many matches that you will see where you actually think both men are trying to hurt each other. No, like, even when we talk about it in terms of, like, Suzuki and the Ishii last year, they still weren't obviously trying to kill each other. No, this, they were legitimately trying to hurt each other, to the point where... This eye came out, like you say, Chris, what, four minutes into the match? Yeah, into this... God, how long was it? 15 minutes and 47 seconds. There was a, yeah, so it was a good 10 minutes. It included, like, outside brawls and lariats and shit like that. All to the head. All face-targeted offence. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and as if anything needed to be done to make Vader a more terrifying prospect... Watching him tear towards you with half his face swollen shut. He did most of this match with one eye. When I hear about Vader, I say hear about Vader. I'm a big Vader fan. Like, I went on a proper Vader kick um, last year. And you hear about, oh, he was so athletic for his size. It's like, well, that's not really what makes him great. What makes him great is the fact that he does not give a fuck about you. It it makes me sad that this Vader in nineteen ninety we didn't get in the WWF. And Yeah. Well you were never gonna get this Vader in the WWF. Let's be fucking let's nip that in the bud right now. I don't mean the stiff Vader. <laughs> Obviously, he's not going to take out Duke the Dumpster Drosy like this, is he? No, it's no. 
you look how good. over he was. Oh, in New Japan, yeah. The first night he was in, I don't. You put. You probably heard the story. It's very fucking famous. But like first night he was in, he beat Inoki in like six minutes, and it caused everyone to throw in Sumo Hall to throw pillows at him, which got New Japan banned from Sumo Hall for two years. They have a propensity for this. Weren't they banned from Budokan, or was that just Kota Ibushi? No, no, they were banned from Budokan for some... There was, like, a riot at a G1. Yeah, because Bushi... I'm, no, I'm sure it was because Kota Ibushi moonsaulted off the... Um, off, like, the off the balcony or something. I'm sure that's why they got kicked out of Budokan for two years. Or I thought I thought it was just Ibushi, but it might have been New Japan as well. Yeah, but yeah, to be fair, it's not as bad as when Progress is banned from Bournemouth. Just Bournemouth in general. <laughs> no, well, there's only one, let's be honest, there's only one fucking, EOT is basically the only place in Bournemouth. But um, yeah, we got banned because Jimmy Havoc jumped off the fucking um, balcony. I've never been to Bournemouth, so I wouldn't know. And to be fair, we almost, also almost got banned from the Electric Ballroom, which is like their main pub, because Will Ospreay did a moonsault off of the balcony. And then they referenced it two years later, no, three years later, I think boxing, when it was the um, it, it, I, sorry, uh, this is a weird tangent, but like um, it was Grizzly Young Veterans, Aussie Open, Mustache Mountain, and CCK um doing like um they picked fights instead of like tag team versus tag team versus tag team like um Mustache Mountain were the captains and they picked people, they picked Zach Gibson last and last. And what makes it really funny is that one of one half of CCK. Was a blow up doll Lycox who got chucked off of the. Um, <laughs> yeah, we should do more progress. <laughs> How it would link in, I've got no idea, but okay. Um, yeah, this this match it ended in. To be honest, I'm never a fan of double countouts, but I feel like it fit in with the way yeah, this, this match was going. Well, it's basically a case of you have all Japan's boy and New Japan's boy and you can't really put one over the other. But when but it also, got to the point where they just did not give a shit about the the ending no, of the match like, or the result. Yeah, it, I know it's essentially a brawl to the back finish, but also I don't want this match to come to a decision. No, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, double count out. <laughs> Stan Hansen then comes into the ring, throws up the horns and goes, yes, to be greeted by just this tumultuous chorus of boos. Vade does the same. He's cheered, and that's when uh, the video cuts out. <sighs> um, Good God, Chris. What do we give this, I'm man? I'm sorry. I don't think this is rateable. <sighs> I mean... Because we don't, we don't rate shoot fights. Looking on cage match for this match, it's really, really entertaining to look at the average ratings. So in 2010, it was 8.33. But in 2012... It was 6, and then it was like 4, 6, 9. Like, and it's currently sitting at, what, 7.46. Yeah, so... But we're not cage match, Rob, and I literally don't want to get... Put, I, I feel it would be irresponsible to put a number on this. So you want to officially give it the first ever Podmania not rateable? Yeah, because, like... What would you, like... 
if you're looking on a moves basis, it's like a one. If you're looking at it on a drama basis, it's a ten because Vader literally lost his fucking eye. Yeah, true. I mean, it's the match you go but, to when people say, "Oh, wrestling's fake." <laughs> no, what I go to is Kotobushi versus the Blow Up Doll. Um, oh, you go all in on it then, do you? No, here's the f- thing. I try to point out to people wrestling being fake is its greatest asset. Oh, right. Okay, I'm giving it not rateable. <laughs> do you, are, you, do you, are you sort of in the same mindset as me? It's like, what the fuck would you actually give it? Yeah, you've you've made a good point because on a moves basis, this is, it's, it's clunky, it's a little bit clumsy. There are times when Stan Hansen's grabbing at thin air when he's trying to get at Vader, but... It all. The old in that Vader had lost his eye. Yeah, exactly. Vader's had to take his mask off and he can't fucking see. So can we show... you've been talking about doing like a few live watch alongs in Blackpool. Can we show Garth this? The idea of Garth watching Vader's eye pop out will probably stimulate him in a way I don't want to see. We're going to be drunk first. Oh well, that makes it better then, Chris. It does, because, like, how the fuck is a drunk Garth going to take Vader losing his eye? Okay, yeah, fair enough, we'll do that. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much concludes our podcast for tonight. Three absolutely bizarre matches and completely different in what we've, in what we've seen. Um, we're on the final road now to Wrestle Kingdom with the final three matches taking place at the end of December, the road to the Tokyo Dome shows. Tomorrow on the 9th of December, there is a New uh, New Japan press conference. So there we should have a more rounded card for Wrestle Kingdom. As for next week, myself and Chris will be here running down New Japan's year from January all the way through to December, all the highs, the lows and everything in between. The Podmania podcast will then be all about the Podmania end-of-year awards that your good selves have voted on. Voting has now closed. That podcast will come out on the 16th of December. Now, on top of that, you can talk to us on Twitter at at RealRobGoodin for myself. And Chris, where can they find you? <laughs> no, God <laughs> Never, never gets less funny. Um, you can follow us at at podmania or at the young lion cast you can check out the website podmania.co.uk where there we've got the archives of all the podcasts we've done you can check out all our match ratings for new japan all japan all sorts of wrestling promotions um subscribe to the podcast and you can subscribe on any media social media platform social media platform podcasting platform you can subscribe anywhere. We are literally everywhere. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>